Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. This is the hundredth episode of Getting Better Acquainted. <laughs> I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. <laughs> instantaneously uh, spontaneous right so today we're getting better acquainted with getting better acquainted hello um, hello yeah exactly hello. hello there we go so we've got a room full of people later on we'll have a room full of friends playing uh, and this is the 100th episode of my podcast series where I try to get better acquainted with the people I know, from my closest friends and family, to people I just met at a party. And I'm in a room full of people who are in the former category. Yeah, so I thought one, one of the things I, I was going to mention just at the start of the show is that one of the things I've been told I should get better at by the commenters of the internet is singing, uh, which is always fun. And uh, the, the theme tune itself has split opinion quite consistently. Do we have fans of the theme tune in the, in the room, or is, am I going to be left on my own? It's my ringtone. <laughs> is that true? Is that true? Well, call me and find out. Uh, oh, maybe later. Don't. Yeah, someone call him. That'll be weird. Sometimes people come home and they find me singing it along with the podcast. Well, that's good. See, that's good. And I, I think, yeah, some people really like it. And I, I, I think with the theme tune, it's kind of, I, I kind of like the fact that it polarizes opinion because it's a little bit like me in that respect. So, oh. oh Ah, so it's a ringtone version of getting better. Stop it! It's yeah. Some of the notes are a little bit interesting, but, but that's what people say about the way I sing. It. Um, so it was an impossible task to select the people who you're going to hear tonight, and they are not necessarily like I. If 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 you're listening to this show and you are not included. Uh, or even if you're in the room and you're not included, it's not because your episode isn't good. It's just because I had over a hundred hours of conversation to whittle into uh, something, and hopefully tonight uh, it'll be something. It really was hard. I knew some bits that I wanted, but but then I, even after I got it, the I think the first running time for tonight was six hours. Uh, now it's two hours. So that, 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 if it feels long. I did my best. <laughs> I, I, I want to people to consider tonight, appropriately for the show really, a little bit like a Quaker meeting. Uh, there is a Quaker in the room and uh, there have been a few Quakers on the show. And so in a Quaker meeting, if you feel moved to speak, then you speak. Normally if God's talking through you, but tonight, you know, just yourselves, selves or God or whatever. Really like a Quaker meeting. Well, <laughs> feel like you want to speak if you want to speak. What I'm saying is... Speak whenever you like. Interrupt me. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm like a Quaker meeting. Yeah, you see, you're doing well. <laughs> All right. So it's nothing like a Quaker meeting, everybody. There we go. And I'll be reading out some emails on people as part of the the night. But I'm going to start us off with a start of an episode. Probably one of my favourites, just because I love the guy and hardly ever get to see him. So here we go. And she pulled off my apron. And then just grabbed my penis and picked my penis up and pulled it from side to side and just started shaving my balls and all my my pubic hair off me. And I had to lie there and that 
That was not fun. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. We're getting better acquainted with Owen. Hello, Owen. Hello. Hello, David. Hello, listeners. We're in a car. Clear, uh, clear, uh, her name is Cleo. No, Chloe. Now, She's a red up <laughs> Now we're in Chloe and we're chain smoking. Chain smoking <laughs> at the top of Kafili Mountain in Cardiff. In the darkness. In, in a, the darkness. In a well known dog inside, we think. Well, we, if, I if, think it is, anyway. If someone turns up at the window with their willy hanging out, then we're going to probably have to move on. Probably, yeah, probably. <laughs> it, depends if, it depends on what the offer They is. might want to do a conversation. Um, <laughs> Getting better acquainted with your arse. Yeah, something like that. And um, it's five minutes to two in the morning. Is we're, it really? Yeah, fun? we're in a little ca- car park. They're slowing down, Dave. <laughs> oh, no, no. And uh, how did you first meet me? Do you know what I read when I listened to the other episodes? I knew you were going to ask me this question. Yeah, and I don't remember the first time I met you. I do remember the first time you you made an impression on me. Okay, which was backstage in a school play. I can't remember which one it was though. It was the one where you were dressed up as a sea monster, right? And you were being a twat. I was dressed up as Davy Jones. That's right. it. With Davy Jones, you were the monster inside Davy Jones' chest. Yeah, I was Davy Jones, here within my locker dark, the graveyard of the sea. Do you still remember all that? Yeah. I don't remember very many lines, but I remember that one. It was ridiculous. I remember I was loads in the, of lines. I was in Dayglow or something. It was Basically, it was when there was a really popular sort of... Where everyone, ultraviolet lights. Yeah, so everyone was wearing fluorescent costumes with paints and stuff, and the lights went off, and Dave came out and was a monster. And I remember particularly that people in your year used to pick on you a lot. They did, yeah. It's to give you a lot of hassle. And I always was a bit unsure of you because you were quite dramatic and you made quite a scene all the time (laughs) and uh, quite attention-seeking in a sort of... in the way that I always find a bit sort of hard-working. So was that time that I, I made an impression on you backstage, was that the time when the girl who would later be my girlfriend asked if she was... Skinny. Oh no! Yes, of course. Okay. I had a massive go with you about it. Yeah. That, that's yeah, it. but I remember having an argument with you while you were wearing your fucking costume. Yeah. And I was, I thought, was I in that play? You weren't. I don't think. No, I think I was just there backstage helping out and just generally being around the girls. There yeah, was, because that's that's the only reason I was in drama in the first place. It was crazy, honest. actually, drama because the girls' changing room was. In full view of the toilet. Oh yes, right in the in the canteen. Yeah, well the boys changed in the canteen in full view of everyone. The windows went out onto the road, so everyone could see us in our underwear. But the girls in their underwear, they were in the PE room, and you could see into the PE room from the toilets when you were putting your makeup on. So I remember going and putting my makeup on quite a lot. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, so I, and I, catching sort of glimpses of the girls in their underwear uh, peeping Tom basically well I was fucking I don't know 14 yeah, I think everybody's a, a peeping Tom when they're 14 you, it's, you just want to know what the it's interesting you on. remember that part of the because uh, I remember arguing with you yeah 
because I thought you were being a knobhead. But it was very unreasonable. But <laughs> what you guys were having to before. But I was probably being a dick. So the thing is, well, no, you, no. I think part of it was the fact that everyone else treated you like a knobhead, which is true. Wasn't it? They were harsh on you. People were harsh. And when you're when you're in school, if someone's being harsh to someone, you follow the social norm. And I think that's basically what it was. And that whole thing, I was going for a weird complex of girls where I believed women were much more interested than guys. I remember telling them every girl that I met that they were much more interested than guys. Guys were boring, girls were amazing. I thought that was the way to get into their knickers. <laughs> so when you offended... I just said she looked normal, not skinny. But you guys were like, she used to be anorexic, so... I'll be by her name. I, I, knew no, I knew nothing about that. I was told that she was anorexic. I know, and then everyone had this big go at me. And then later, a few years later, I would end up going out with her and having a relationship with her, so I don't know. I was there that night you got with her. Yeah, you were. I was radio working. Head. I was working. That's right, you were working for sil silver service, wasn't it? I was a silver service waiter. I had to go to a course for two weeks to be able to become one, and then I didn't bother with it. I'd turn up, I'd sign in. And then I go watch the bands, and then I go and sign out and leave again. I used to get paid ridiculous amount of money. And, uh, wow, it's really raining outside now. I've not been picked up from Paris. It's lighter not working. Um, I don't know where my lighter went, but that's the. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the first time I remember you making an impression on me. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, microphone just fell over again because of me. Um, I've lost the lighter, so this is. But I don't. Uh, but it's difficult to remember exactly when you became Rachel Warren. Yeah. So um, there you go. That's uh, an, a start of one of the episodes. I wanted to sort of give the the uh, the idea of how the how the episodes start. The rest of the clips are going to be from within the episodes. I wish that more people had heard that episode because that was one of the earlier ones, and it's one that I really like. Owen goes on to tell some really very interesting and funny. Yeah, he's very funny stories. Do, do any, does anybody have any thoughts on that before I go on to the next thing? <laughs> it's kind of a weird one, isn't it? But yeah. Were you drunk? Um, I, I don't think we were actually because we we, we so was really late. Yeah, Owen was driving. He he definitely wasn't drunk. But I, what happened was I turned up in Cardiff and he was supposed to meet me at the station, but he wasn't there. And then my phone ran out of battery, so I had to find my way to his house. This is far, far, quite far away from the, uh, from the station. And then when I got there, he thought it was a different weekend I was coming, and he was just in bed. Uh, and, like, I knocked on the door, and I scared his mum uh, uh, in the middle of the night. And then, yeah, then he sort of get up, got out of, up out of bed and was like, I'm not free to record the conversation. So he was like, let's go out tonight. And so we drove out. He complains about the fact that I talked nonstop for the entire car ride. <laughs> But there we go, that's me, I guess. We weren't drunk, but it was late at night. Mm, you were and sort of sound high on... High on life, I yeah. guess. And also, we hadn't seen each other for a long time. And when you're with people that you were a teenager with as well, you, you click into that thing, yeah. don't you? Yeah, I mean, it was partly cl clicking into that kind of gear too much on the previous podcast, Four Days in a Room, which made, made me decide to make this one so that people would know I wasn't like that all the time. But, yeah, it's one of my favourite ones. So... A lot of getting better acquainted has been a personal journey for me, which is funny because it's conversations with other people. But one of the ways I've come to see it is like a, an autobiography through conversation. And so everybody who knows me forms a facet of who I am. So the next few clips are kind of some stops on the way, some moments in my personal journey on the show. And 
this one's going to be a familiar voice. So I was very family focused, and <laughs> friends, friend groups weren't the same growing up that they were when I got to university. Mm. And it's not that they're bad or, or they're not as good, they're just very different. They're people I grew up with who understood that was going on, but they weren't like family, they were friends. And then when I went to university, because this happened, because she died right when I was leaving home, I had to essentially create a new family. Mm. So I'm very close to my friends from university. And it is, I talk about it, weddings and things, like it's a little tribe. Because they were the people that I had to create systems with and create a new Liz with. And we were, I was talking with one of them recently, and she said, you know, you've changed a lot from the person you were when you were 18. And I said, yeah, I think I'm actually closer to the person I was at 16. Uh, right. Which is a weird thing to say, but I think it took me a while, and I wasn't aware of how much it took to get past what had happened. Because you can go to a therapist, and you can deal with that. And I know you've had some things in your background that... Never been to a therapist, that's what I did in this show. <laughs> yeah, I've never been to one either. And people were like, maybe you should go. And I said, I, I don't know. I know there are plenty of times when therapy does help. But I think there's a certain value in talking to your friends. Friends, I always think. Friends and family are much... They know you better. That's it. They know what's, what's going on and what are the factors that are affecting them. And there's something at stake. If a, a friend cares for you, a therapist, you're just paying them money. And there, there, is, there is some value to an objective point of view, but I much prefer someone who, yeah, who cares to me, talking to me about these sorts of things. That's kind of an interesting echo of what will happen later in the series at that stage, because later on I do specifically ask people to talk to me about some serious things that happened in my life on mic, uh, which we'll, we'll get to that in a little while. So, yeah, Liz, that was you. Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> not awkward at all to do this. <laughs> you hear yourself and you're like, oh yeah, I sound ridiculous. Yeah, I think how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> Surely you're used to it by now. Yeah, I think I am. I think I'm comfortable with hearing my own voice now. I've heard it so much, but I've never you're been not. Used to it. Yeah. I did theatre and stuff, but I've never been used to it. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it, that was a kind of one of the early ones that I recorded, I think, was with you. We didn't even know each other that well at that stage. Oh, that's annoying. No, no, we didn't really. Kind of surprised that you asked me, but happy to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think that conversation, and that happens a lot with these conversations for me, is that I have a conversation with someone I don't know very well, and we talk about some really serious stuff, and then that, that means I, I know them well. And then the next time I see them, it's a different... What relationship. At university. Actually, Zoe and I have talked about this yes. <laughs> as a response to these, actually. Like, you, you have those conversations at university, but you don't have them as a grown-up, really. Yeah. And so this sort of, like, makes you have that conversation. Yeah, which is something you find weird. We will get to that later on, because you were one of the people who sent in an, an email to me. Oh, well. well, good. There's lots of places. Lots of <laughs> Getting Lizzie with it. Um, oh, just Liz everywhere, didn't we? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah no, no, nothing, nothing's fallen over, so no lizzing has occurred. That conversation where you, where you said about your friends, that was my, that was my opinion as well. I mean, I, I agreed with it. Since then, I have, like, 
tried to get therapy, but the NHS won't give it me, which is annoying. So I had to make do with Zoe. Um, we'll get to that later. We'll, have, we'll get to that later on. More of a risk category. Have you heard the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. They should. They should. They should. Uh, and on which note, here's a moment of discovery of self-discovery. The show is normally conversations, and I'm saying this for the for the new listener. The show is normally conversations, but sometimes I do specials where I go to a location and do a kind of documentary style episode. This is from the first Edinburgh Festival special where we went on a stag night for my friend Tim and this is a moment recorded as part of that stag night when I was on my own late at night. Maybe epiphanies. Maybe epiphanies don't last forever. Maybe you just feel a good way. Everything makes sense for a little while in your life and then that goes away again. Uh, and that happens repeatedly maybe that is the case maybe that's what life is but at the moment I'm in the middle of a kind of epiphany moment that's been spurred by this podcast generally as the series goes on there's going to be a lot more that you'll hear and that'll make more sense of why I feel the way I do but really the important thing to me at this moment in time here in Edinburgh at the festival and my friend Stagnite is that the epiphany's happened and I do feel like a happier person and maybe like a better person. And that's as a result of this series, doing this series, talking to people, talking to my mum, talking to my friends, talking to my family, talking to people I don't know, um, has taught me a hell of a lot about myself and about what I need to do to make myself a better person, the things I need to work on to make myself a better person, uh, and also that I can be happy and that it is possible for me to be happy. I'm on a stag night with a load of kind of guys that aren't the normal kind of guys I hang out with, and they're all nice people, and a lot of people are nice people, not everyone, but most, you know, I don't know if most people are nice people, but everyone's got something nice about them, and people I'm hanging out with, they're nice people, they're different from me, but there doesn't have to be a division between me and them. There can be understanding, even if we're different kinds of people, and that's what this show's about, and that's what this show has taught me. And it's something I always kind of, I believed in ideologically, but I didn't think was real, but now it becomes clear to me that it is real to a certain extent, that you can understand people who are different from you and part of that's to do with being confident in yourself and knowing your own self and being prepared to put yourself out there on the line and be honest with people and then people will be honest back to you and I was in the middle of this nightclub and I was sober and there was a group of men all together being drunk who I was with and there was a room full of people dancing and you know, with all of their insecurities out and all of their happinesses out and all of their sadnesses out, just dancing away. And I sort of was in the middle of this room, but I wasn't really a part of it. And in the past, I would have just felt anger and hatred and bitterness about this situation. I'd be like, nobody's really happy. So there's a load of people in the dance floor. And I don't fit in with them. Normally I'd feel they're all sad and they're inside and they... They don't, 
they're not showing it, they're all pretending and they're not really happy. Or I would have felt um, everyone's happy and I'm not happy. But the thing is, I didn't feel that everyone was happy and I wasn't, or that everyone was sad and they were pretending they weren't sad. I looked around the room, I thought, here's a load of people having a good time. The music's good and everyone's having a good time. And some people aren't having as good a time as others and some pe there'll be sadnesses within that. But it's real, it's not extreme. It's a collection of different emotional states in a room. And I guess the other thing I sort of felt was, you know, happy in myself where I am, that I could just smile and enjoy other people's happiness and I didn't have to feel like I fitted in because it didn't matter that I didn't fit in. It didn't matter at all, it doesn't matter because I, <laughs> I'm me and I can be me out to those people and they can be them back to me. There's no reason for me to try and pretend and dance if I don't want to dance. And I just sort of smiled sort of stood there kind of smiling quite a lot just happy that I wasn't young anymore because being young is hard and it wasn't fun for me and it, I think I'm going to enjoy being older more because I kind of know who I am now and that's a that's a good thing to do and to know so I'm really glad that that's that's happened here in Edinburgh where I've had a lot of other times in my life that have been fantastic up to now. You know, my friends are growing up, they're getting married, they're having kids, and I'm choosing not to do those things. But we're all going through life and getting older, and we're all learning our own lessons and trying to work out our own times. And, uh, you never stop trying to work things out. But you get to a point maybe where you don't mind and you're comfortable with the fact that you're gonna always be trying. You think that's long? I, that was massively edited down from the, <laughs> from, the original, uh, from the original broadcast even. And the original broadcast was massively edited down from the uh, original experience. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there we go. Um, it is ironic as well, because it's like that was a few years ago now, and I'm not necessarily as happy as I was then. <laughs> uh, now, but there you go. <laughs> On a downer. <laughs> but uh, I mean, still listening back to it, I mean, you know, what I was feeling was, was, was appropriate. And actually, it was a weird stag night, because it was like really good old friends and a load of guys I didn't know. And so that's why it was a kind of weird mixture. That's why I'm sort of thinking about old friends at the same time as thinking about big masculine groups that I don't fit into. Yeah, Gary, you look like you're going to say something. So I was just thinking, was that the time or something related to where you threw your drink on someone? Um, no, I, I was, I was, that's coming up. Well, no, hang on, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, I think that's coming up. Like, I was with the guy who I threw the drink on, but I had already thrown the drink on him, I think, before that. I think. That, was years, that was years before. When, when the throwing the drink moment was a good bonding moment for me and Jed. <laughs> Weirdly. Afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, 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 afterwards. <laughs> well, that's the bit that's coming up later. So, yeah, so I mean. So, what's changed, Dave? What, from then? Yeah. Well, I think the first year of doing Getting Better Acquainted, I was on a high because I felt like I knew myself very well and that I was happy not to be young anymore. <laughs> so my 30th birthday, I was like, yeah, I'm 30 and it's 
I don't have to be young anymore. But at the same time, doing Getting Better Acquainted has dislodged things so that I at first was very happy, but now I'm now dealing with the things that I have brought up through my excavations on the show in a way. Yeah, I mean... Clots. Yeah, like, yeah, well, what would you say? <laughs> I wouldn't say anything at this moment. Because <laughs> you're eating lots of people. I would agree with that. Yeah, I was happy for a year, and then I was... Actually, constantly... I think you are generally happy. I think you're just having a bit of a... Winter doesn't do do me no, favours. You're always still January. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm always doing a show at this time of the year as well, so I'm always stressed out because I'm trying to run the show. Yeah, it is going well. I'm very pleased with the way that the show is going. That's Stand Up Tragedy. People should check that out. So this is from the episode which, for a long time, was the most listened to episode of the show because SoundCloud picked it out as their uh, SoundCloud Voices sort of focus in a blog and so a lot of people came to it like that and I was interested that they chose this episode it's with my brother so okay right another big family anecdote okay. right yeah is when we played cricket on Damon Bay oh for crying out loud yes uh, <laughs> do you want to tell your no, story all I can remember of this is we were playing cricket in Cornwall in Cornwall on a, on a beach that's Really not as deserted as I would have liked it to have been. Really, really, really highly populated. Quite, it's like, quite, yeah, quite it's a few people. It's a popular beach. Mm-hmm. And we'd, we'd gone down to the main bit of the beach to play cricket. And I think Dad and... Who was else with us? Was Joe there? Uh, Bo, <coughs> Adam and yeah, they were all up, that But they were way up in the dunes, aren't they? And we are talking quite a while away. They were, yeah, the, the adults yeah. were up in the dunes. The rest of us were playing cricket. Yes. and Quite far away, yeah. And we were getting more... We were getting quite stressed by the end of it. Well, I was getting very stressed because I, at the time, I I had this bizarre idea that I liked playing cricket and that, uh, you know, if I could just try a little bit, I'd be quite good. Was, You're going to be nice. a spin bowler. That's yeah. The thing. Well, I like spin bowling. I like the idea of being tricky and stuff like that. But yeah, you can't you can't spin the ball on 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 the, on the sand. And <laughs> uh, I was getting quite frustrated with this, and I think I was getting frustrated with the game in general. And I was getting frustrated with you, yeah, because you're my little brother. What was I doing? Talking, I think that was mainly the problem. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> I do talk. I think, um, and I, I, I can't remember exactly what you do, but anyway, it came to a head at one point when I, I think I told you quite loudly to shut the fuck up. Yeah, you shouted, "Shut the fuck up!" And the whole beach went quiet and looked at us. Yeah, it was it echoed. <laughs> yeah. well, well, Dad heard it, but that way, yeah, 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 they were very far away. Yeah, they they heard it. Uh, yeah, I've got quite a loud voice when I want to. I think I probably overcompensate by that by mumbling quite yeah, a lot of the time. You, you very rarely shout, but when you shout, it's it's known. It's it's long capacity. Yeah. See, I don't even remember. I don't remember why I was shouted at. I just remember being shouted at. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't really remember. I don't remember you doing anything more annoying during that moment than you. Often did. Yeah, but I'm no. But I'm just saying, you know, as an older brother to a younger brother, I don't think that you did anything that was more out of order to deserve that response than than you often did. Well, I Although think, possibly it might have been a build-up of several things. Well, I always think that you like. I always felt like maybe I don't know. I don't know if I felt it at the time, but I've often thought maybe like when you shout at me like that, which has occasionally happened in our in our brotherhood, maybe once uh, or twice. It's generally because you, you think, oh, like I'm embarrassing you, like myself, like I'm, 
if you want me to stop being stupid because I'm l- making myself look bad. That that would be a very altruistic way of putting it. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think it's true actually. But I, I think mean, it it's is true. Makes me sound better than I think I am. But yeah. But no, I think it uh, is. Um, yeah, I think. I don't think you should feel that. <laughs> no, 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 probably not. But I, I, I mean, I can take care of my my yeah, own well, embarrassment. Yes, yeah, so but I suppose at that age. I mean, how old were you been? I don't know. I, that's the I other question. I, I, I mean, think I was like, just eleven or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I and just eleven. So I would have been about <clears> 16, 17. Yeah, I was eleven or twelve because I was kind of getting interested in girls because ah, yes. Adam had a girlfriend that I quite fancied at the time. Oh yes. So this is before I went to uni, isn't it? This is me in the sixth form. Yeah, yeah right. I think it was. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, again, possibly I'm a little bit more self-conscious than I probably needed to be and probably a bit more worried, you know, about you. Because then I went up and sulked. Like, I don't normally sulk, but I sulked for a long time. Yeah. I didn't, like, speak to anybody. I was just sat looking out at the sea. I think it's, like, my first time in my life I can remember sort of experiencing kind of... Um, not silence, <laughs> existential angst. <laughs> right, okay, so your, your introduction to Sartre came through me screaming at you. Well, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough then. Kind of, yeah, Kirk, I Kirk feel better Garden. About it. I, feel, you know, I feel maybe it was, it, was a, it was an important moment for you, a sort of an epiphany. Yeah, I was looking out over the... Because there's pictures of me looking out. So obviously obviously they cared a lot about... They were worried a lot about me. They were taking lots of pictures. But there's there's <laughs> yeah. pictures of me looking out over the... Thing. I think you came and tried to say sorry and I wouldn't have it. Yeah, well, you know. You, but I don't think that, I'm... That's so typical of you. It's not typical of me. <laughs> I normally don't do that. I don't think that I've had... Like, normally I like... Like, normally I'm like you. I, normally I, like, blow up, then feel immediately then, then ashamed and yeah, yeah. <laughs> guilty. Yeah, sorry. And then I go and apolo- apologise too much and yes. that annoys people because I've yeah. apologised too much. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that is, that is, a, that is a tendency in my, uh, that I do have, which is to blow up. Uh, but it normally does come after a lot of provocation. You're, yeah, you it's, don't blow up as much as me. But when I do, it tends to be quite big. It's, it's, it's nuclear, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, it's not a tendency I'm particularly proud of, but it is something that occurs in my work every now and then. But, I mean, my strategy for dealing with that is, as you say, is to be, you know, straightforward enough to apologise if that's if that a situation, if I've gone too far. I think the, it's important to be aware of it, yeah, and yeah, it's, it's important it's, to apologise about it. Yeah, and also I do warn people that it might happen. That's wise. I do. Uh, yeah, I. I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding my life is increasingly more and more me spending most of my time warning people of, the, of yeah. how I'm going to behave but in the next. This is what hour. I'm going to be like. I'm really sorry about <laughs> it. Uh, I've tried. God knows I've tried, but you know it's going to happen. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a genetic thing, I think, and mm, it's just a that's a quite thing worrying that we've got, yes. and you just deal with it, but. I mean, it, it's important to to try and try and find ways of, of dealing with with with, yeah. it, with rage. I guess. I, to be I fair, though, I, I I find people who don't exhibit emotion probably as annoying, if not more. So. I find them really hard yes. to yeah. cope with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I managed to stop that when I got a massive mouthful of food. So I let the domestic play out. <laughs> Originally, I was trying to get a piece of that from later on in the conversation where we talk about jealousy and being jealous between the jealousy that exists between us. But it was really hard to get a bit of that. Like it was either 20 minutes or nothing, really. So I decided to go for something that 
showed, not told. <laughs> and I mean, that is, is, is interesting for me just because it was a really interesting conversation to have with my brother. But it, I mean, it's also very pertinent to some of the themes of the show because as, as they go on, rage is something that I, is my main thing I have to deal with in my life, my main negative quality. And the show gets into that quite, 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 quite frequently. And uh, luckily, lots of other people share this feeling. I mean, that's the nice thing about talking to people is that you can, you can get into that stuff of they, they're the same way and you can get into that. From fun and games when we were children to this, which is when we had a guest interviewer who is also in the room. I'm more damaged by my childhood than I ever wanted to admit until about now. Like, when I was at... Like when I was 18, I was like, fuck that. I'm getting out of this mm-hmm. shit. I'm not even going to think about it anymore. I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to be a thing for me. I'm not going to be defined by that. But, but am I justified in any of this? Like, I know there's people who've had worse times. Like, this is a, like, maybe I'm just. Okay. We've said this before, you and I. We've said that there are people who are as fucked up as we are, or worse, who've had demonstrably less happen in their lives than us. True, true. You know, someone could have seen their pet cat get run over and it have seriously screwed them up. Because no one knows quite how brain chemistry works and no one knows quite when the pressure points are and what the pressure points are on someone to push them into something. You could have a justifiable and fascinating interview with that person who was fucked up by seeing that cat get run over. And yet some people seem relatively balanced and have had terrible, terrible things happen to them in their lives. I don't think, I mean, I don't think that you have anything to be embarrassed about in the fact that you have been marked by your childhood. Everyone is. Mm. Everyone is. And everyone's marked for good and bad. Whatever happens, whatever has happened to them. You're just investigating that and being honest with yourself about it. That's fine. I mean, I don't think I'm that badly marked by it, but I I used to sort of feel ashamed of, like, even mentioning it and, like, like making it, like, admitting to it. And now I admit to it quite freely, although it does really seem I have a, a real hard time looking at, mm. looking at that time. That's a little clip from a, a very hard for me to listen back to your episode, but I'm really pleased how it came out, actually. And I sent you a text, Zoe, when I, I was editing it, and you had lost your phone, but I said some really nice things to you oh, in that nice. text about how you, you were the perfect person to be interviewing me and how it was really good. And thanks for that. You're welcome. I wish I sounded less like I sounded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's your problem with the way you sounded? Oh, too posh. Ah, oh, posh. Yeah, well, you can't, you, can't change, you can't change who you are. I mean, that's what my show is all about. Oh, too posh. Um, got this really silky sickly voice yeah you can make money out of that that's good that's what yeah. the BBC like that <laughs> I hear I, I, I hear my voice at a lot lower and grainier level than okay I think that might be a common thing yeah everyone yeah, hears yeah. it yeah it's yeah. true one of the things that I yeah one of the things that I've learned to do when listening to my voice through editing it all is to hear it a little bit more how it is I think so I thought I I would uh, lighten it up with this clip. Before I ask you the last question, I've got one more question to ask you. Why did, <laughs> why did you say that 
the problem with me is I'm just like Alan Moore. <laughs> uh, I think we should give some context to this. So should we? You can maybe, if maybe you want. It's really we up to a, you, mate. We had a we had a we had a heated debate. Uh, it was on yet yeah, another stag do. Hopefully we won't repeat it this yeah, time. Yeah, we were on a friend stag do. We were both quite drunk. Yeah, it was gin fueled, yeah. which was the problem. Well, I tip, for some reason I tipped some Coca Cola. I, t- I tipped some Coca Cola down Jed's really white T-shirt. You got a really white T-shirt on against. Yeah, day, no, so I'm, I'm conscious it, of this now. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it this time. Don't worry. Because I thought it was funny, and it clearly wasn't funny. But and I completely understand that sober. But at the time, it was hilarious, especially because you know I've got some complicated jealousy things with the fact that you've got a six pack and issues that you look attractive and stuff like that so anyway so we got into we got into a big argument but it, it worked out quite well yeah it was well it's the nicest it nice. it's the nicest time i've ever been shouted at by somebody you're just shouting at me uh, you're so, just like alan moore that's I the think problem this is because so I, I finally i saw alan moore give a, a, a talk a couple of weeks before maybe three weeks before ah, right. i sort of met him very briefly and uh, at the time, I was with you know Susanna, who works on the article with me that yeah. we got into. Uh, and you were, magazine. yeah, you were published in Dodge yeah. and Logic. And at the time, I said, "He's like Dave," and she said, "Yes." Oh God! So at the time, we thought he's, he's he, he was kind of like just got the same sort of mannerisms, same sort of things okay. to talk about, same sort of energy and intensity, you know. Well, I, I like very similar in that, this is in a that good way. Thing. I'm, I'm happy with this, but and there was uh, a critique in that though. What's wrong with Alan Moore and me? You get a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> it could be After a, a long period of time, no, that's not true. I don't know. It's just it wasn't. It wasn't like a bad thing. But um, you can tell that you can tell that he's probably a bit tiring to be around all the time. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I'm definitely. I'm sure this is something that people say about you. I'm sure he would understand that he was as well. I mean, that's hopefully the the one the one thing I can say about myself is at least I know that I'm annoying. Yeah, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. And you know, you're interested in the same sort of things. We talk about the are. same similar things. Well, I've never been told off by being compared to my hero before. That's, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't told you off. I was just saying. No, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I brought it up. The words that you no, said. I, I mean, they're engraved into my mind now. It's just the problem with you, Dave. Well, because, is no, you just like Alan because Moore. because I reckon say you couldn't make it, but Alan Moore could come to Richard Stagdu. <laughs> yeah. He probably would have done exactly the same thing. Poured, poured Coca-Cola. <laughs> probably, that's what he would have done. I'm sure he might have done. I'd like to think he. I'd, I'd like to think he would have done. But uh, yeah, you're both right. Isn't interest the same sort of things? I think when you do finally make it, which I'm pretty convinced you will. That's what you said to me as well. You're like, you uh, will make you'll, it. You'll do that. And you'll you'll give big talks to people, and you'll probably talk about the same sort of things. Well, this is what you'll do. I hope so. Yeah, oh, and that's sweet. After that, we then uh, rubbed ice into a friend's face for a long for a long period of time. Richard was really drunk, so we like rubbed ice into his face while we were bonding. Uh, what's that? That's inherited. Yeah, yeah. Mum says this in her third conversation that hasn't come out he yet. He was an editor at the Coldwater, and he was walking along Old Compton Street. And his new white raincoat, and I thought, wow, look at that white raincoat. Wouldn't it be lovely? sort of draw on the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> I got out of Byron. Sort of What surprised me is that he was annoyed. <laughs> you know? I, I sort of thought, this is a great joke, you know? Jim, you like this? And he yeah. sort of turned around. You know, it didn't hit me or anything. Lucky. <laughs> but you inherited. Yeah, I was lucky that Jed didn't hit me either. He wanted to hit me, but instead he grabbed my glasses. He grabbed my glasses 
and ran out of the room. <laughs> Can't hit someone <clears throat> when you're carrying their glasses? Well, if, if freak me out I would have preferred to have been hit than suddenly lose my glasses in the middle of like Soho um, what he says there about why you're annoying to him at yeah. that point was that you yeah you're too much to be around yeah so, well it's a theme isn't it a few people have said that in my clips if I, correct me if I'm remembering wrong but the whole get, I need to get better thing was about Dave in social situations yeah. being better at doing a two way thing and and listening as well as talking and and all this sort of thing, and slightly dialing down the... Well, people will intervene if they want to, but I'm going to carry on being as uh, expressive and interesting and fabulous as I normally am. <laughs> yeah. You can cut that bit out. Well, I'm, 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 I'm hearing different words than you're saying. But that's <laughs> you're not oh, meaning them. That's just part oh. of my, my neurosis. But yeah. So, success? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I think that what the, sh- what the show has taught me is that I can do it on a one-to-one level, but it doesn't really affect who I am in general life. But I think I'm more comfortable with who I am in general life because of knowing that I can connect with people on a, on a one-to-one kind of level. A lot of general life is kind of... Well, the best, part, of best parts of ge- general life is when you can get, get into stuff, for me. It has been a bit of a theme of the personal section of this show. A lot of people have said very similar things to what Jed says in different ways. And yeah, I agree with them. Uh, so I haven't got any clips today of Richard, but he is a very important part. Like we were, we, we were talking, we, that happened on Richard's stag night and he's in, in the show quite a lot. Richard was one of three episodes I put together, which I called Three Posh Boys, because I had, like, Richard and I had my friend Henry, who can't be here tonight, who went to Harrow that I didn't know until I did that conversation with him, and uh, a guy called Radcliffe, who was born into Richard's and ended up in a skip. We'll also hear a clip from him later on. But that Three Posh Boys... What was that? As myself and Jen were discussing earlier, that you have certain crushes on people who you do interviews with, and Radcliffe was one of them. I have a crush on Radcliffe. Yeah. Oh, sure, everybody has a crush on Radcliffe. <laughs> like, yeah, no, Three Posh Boys, I wanted to include that in the personal journeys section because uh, that, that doing those three conversations was quite weird for me and putting them together in that way because, I mean, I have a legitimate, and I still think it's legitimate even after I've learnt my lessons, but I have a legitimate cr- uh, chip on my shoulder about posh people and uh, people who are rich. You know, pe- some people are sighing. Some people might be agreeing, I'm hoping. And I think that is a legitimate problem to have with people, but at the same time, it's important to remember that they are people and that there is a complicated spectrum. <laughs> and uh, yeah. doing those three episodes together really kind of... I never thought that my show would end up arguing, like, humanising the face of posh. posh people, but it did. But I think the thing is, all of the people I've had on the show who are either have had a privileged background or have been to Oxford or Cambridge or whatever, the, the things that, that chips me about them, they all know it's wrong. <laughs> and that's why I can like them. Um, I think. I, I think. I mean, that's probably not true, actually. As the, as the next year goes on, there's some more posh people who uh, probably don't know it's wrong, but I still like them, but hey. Now, what's wrong? They know it's wrong that some people have more wealth than other people and that it isn't redistributed it's in a fair wrong, way. they got good educations. No, but it's wrong that they get them and other people don't. Yeah. Yeah? So it's the woman with the good education. Yeah, I never knew. I never understood enough about America to know that, that, that you went to the equivalent of Oxford and Cambridge. I never knew enough to, about that. So I didn't. I, I, could, I, sh- I should really get into like Ivy League or whatever that means with you sometime on a on a. I want to do a follow. Would you be viewed as posh, Liz, in America? 
I mean, not really, because my family certainly isn't. Like, they are all immigrants and all were a variation on working class and middle class. But because my parents are professors, we're academic. And so I guess I've always thought that does change a little bit out of it. And so, yes, I went to a good university, and yes, I'm doing a PhD, but that's partially because of who my parents were and not because we had money. Sure. Got lots of student loans. Sure, and, that's, and, and actually, that's the case for a lot of people who went to Oxford and Cambridge in this country. A lot of people went on scholarships who aren't. Yeah. Well, and also in Henry's episode, you know, he talks about getting, you know, hate crimes on him for having a posh accent. It is complicated, but America has a very different relationship with class, which we'll get to in a later clip. It, class is different in America. Posh doesn't really exist there in, in the same way. In the same way. That does in the same Hey Dave. It's JP and Ella from I Like You. Congratulations on 100 episodes. We are kind of jealous because we can't seem to make it past 84. Yeah, 100 feels really far away right now. So uh, incredible job getting out 100 episodes of incredible conversations. And uh, we hope you keep going for a long time. We love what you do. And we like you. Oh, I'm not saying it together. What? I'm not doing that in unison. Oh, you don't want to do it. That's so cheesy. Are you kidding? Can I just say we like you? And we like you. At this stage, I was going to do Liz's haha. Since you were already talking, I was going to do your your um your email. Do you want to? Can you read it out for me? Would that be possible? I think we should edit out a little bit of Liz from the show. <laughs> when did I send this? I don't know. The other day. What? Oh, I said this the other day. Dave says. <laughs> I don't know. I sent Dave lots of emails. So some of my favorite moments on GBA are those when people explain why they love what they do, particularly if it is something sort of eccentric, like Zoe with LARPing, or Sarah with the piano. What I find weird are those moments when people reveal something inner or deep and you don't know them. Particularly weird when you are acquainted with them and you learn something you didn't know about them. I know I'm guilty of this entirely on my own GBA, as you've heard. (laughs) (laughs) It feels vaguely like you are interloping on someone's inner life. And then sometimes you get conversations after the fact where you reference things you've said on each of your GBAs. I'm looking at Zoe. (laughs) Even though you've never discussed it in real life. But then you might. Or sometimes you've never even met. It feels like a bit of a shortcut in relationships. And then I list some of my favourite. So I thought that I would queue up some bits of conversation where people reveal stuff that, that makes Liz feel awkward by getting Liz to read out a thing about how she feels awkward when that happens. I mean, it is weird for friends of mine who now, when they meet each other at parties, have heard each other's conversations, yeah? And so I guess you two found that weird because you both talked about your parents, Liz's mother died, and your mother has a condition where she might die. This is very jolly to set up as context, isn't it? <laughs> well, it did lead to Liz and I... Well, we're drunk, we were drunk. Yeah. Quite, <laughs> quite birthday. Yeah, having, <laughs> having massively... Giggly time, <laughs> really late and early in the morning, and talking about it. Apparently, not keeping anybody else up. Yeah, it's quite impressive. Well, that's good. Yeah, well, I I, it's, it's made us closer. Well, I kind of like that. That has happened a few with a few different people, and it wasn't something that, that I expected this project to do. But it's, it, I really like the way that that's happening. Maybe, maybe eventually, everyone in the world will have a GBA. About that. <laughs> um, so here's my stepdad talking about what was that like I mean you I guess you grew up in the troubles yeah it was what I always born really my parents 
were obviously very, very alarmed if I came home late because every Sunday morning there'd be half a dozen bodies turning up. I was actually in a pub that was bombed at one stage. Didn't take the alarm seriously because we didn't actually think that pub would be targeted. It wasn't in the sort of area where pubs normally get bombed. And it was, I was actually sitting in the, the pub when the bomb went off. It's only a small one. But um, and there was a wall between me and it, so it wasn't damaged in any way, but the ceiling came down. There was a lot of glass flying around. Very fine powdered glass. My clothes were never comfortable again after that. Got between the fibres. How old were you when that, that took place? Around 20. And, I mean, how... I mean, did it... Did living in the proximity of danger... You know, how do you think that affected your outlook on, on things? I mean... It was just something I was always used to, even before the dates when the troubles started according to the history books. There was tension, there were there was violence, there were shootings, riots. It's, it's back on my earliest memories to take that in. Yeah. So it didn't seem a strange situation to me. No, of course, yeah. It was reality, I guess, but then... You moved from Ireland to the UK, so you've lived in places where that hasn't been the reality. I mean, it's been the occasional threat in in England, like occasionally there was a, an IRA bomb. I'm not saying, not trying to make light of that, but that's nothing compared to what it was like in Northern Ireland. So, I mean, how was that contrast? Oh, it was completely different. I mean, there were bombs every day in Belfast. Some days there'd be 20, 30, 40 but there were bombs every day. We'd hear the bang, and you could look and see the smoke, because Belfast's in a narrow valley between two ranges of hills, and the echoes, you could work out from the echoes exactly where to look. It became quite a fine art, really. I remember in Kings Lynn when uh, a chemical factory blew up. Because there was no echo, I thought it was a small bomb right on the doorstep. Because the windows shook quite violently. There was high energy, but actually it was a couple of miles away, but a much bigger explosion than I thought. Yeah. One of the few times when my phone's gone off in the middle of a conversation, I was fucking annoyed. I guess part of the reason I chose that that as well is because coming off the sort of personal section and going into the sort of more general, I mean, that's a kind of crossover episode because it, a lot of why, who Mervyn is, what made him who he is, made me who I am because he then lived with me and engaged with me. And for more on that, listen to the conversation me and Zoe had. Uh, let's not get into that now. His voice is very, I mean, he's, he, he the words he chooses are very poetic. I think he's, he's, he's very precise about talking about horrible events. My niece talking about child. And there were five midwives present when she came when she wow, and her learning. head yeah and it was amazing being in the water. It's just magical because no one can touch you. So you're just you can sit, you can be you know, be however you want to be. No one can mess with you. And her head came out 
and she t- I don't know if you know this when babies' heads come out they're facing towards your your bottom yeah. your back bum, yeah, and yeah, they yeah, turn yeah. their heads and then the rest of them comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. and she turned her head and looked up at all these five midwives I just remember it you know it's like <sighs> so you have a mad movie like really bizarre she turned her head and opened her eyes and blinked at them and oh, just wow. went oh these midwives they don't breathe until you touch them okay. um, so when their head comes out you're not allowed to touch their head because if you do it will cause them to take a breath take a breath yeah so her head came out and then you know next couple of contractions her body came and then then the, the midwives can't touch her you have to pull them up onto your chest and that was she was wriggling oh, around it was amazing wow. it was an amazing moment um, still, I thought she was a boy as well. <laughs> and you were still attached by the by, by the, the cord, um, yeah. Cord the cords, yeah, and and actually, wow. no one really talks about that. That's like the worst bit, you know. That's all kind of they they. So the baby comes out, and the, um, she was there, and then Keith got to cut the cord, and then you have to deliver the placenta, which is really horrible. Yeah, we <laughs> don't really want to go down that no, road. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you know, no, it's it's, it's, it's fairly that. horrific. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just it was the most amazing experience ever. And then Big Sister came, and that was, you know... And then I was alone with her in the ward, and it was such an, an abstract and new thing to have this totally newborn thing with me, because Jess hadn't been with you me. You hadn't had that the first time. Yeah, and it was there was no-one on the ward, it was totally silent, and there was no-one there. It was just me and her, it was amazing. It was oh, an amazing okay. night, yeah, really amazing. I remember coming out of the ward with her, because I was a bit worried that there was something... She was coughing up some stuff, and I was like, oh, what's that? Because obviously I, did, I, wasn't, I didn't know what happens to babies when they no, first born. Yeah. But, you know, obviously stuff gets in their lungs when as they come out. Yeah. Or from the nine months when they're developing, I guess. But um, I came out into this dark corridor. And, it, you know, the midwife looked surprised to see me. Like, she didn't know I was there. It was really bizarre. But so relaxed and so so different. And we came home the next day, you know. It was amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you always want to be a mother? I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> I always thought if, I've always thought if I did, I'd like boys because they, you know, they're much simpler than girls. Most boys are. I wouldn't say you are. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, a fair point. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of conversations that, that have touched on childbirth, which is a, one of the themes that I wasn't expecting to kind of come into the show. Uh, you're pregnant at the moment, Zoe. I am. So that must have been a bit weird. It was. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and it's kind of like what you were saying earlier on, Liz. Like, you know, you don't have conversations with people about these things you after do. a certain point. Well, you do, but you don't. You, I don't. No. Uh, I, and I, I don't do. sit down with my niece. I wouldn't naturally sit down with my niece, who is older than me. But still, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> sit down with a member of my family and talk to them intimately about childbirth as I a man. I suppose the reason I'm correcting you is only because once you are pregnant people feel the urge to tell Oh sure, everything. you have those conversations yeah. and actually in my day job I have yeah. conversations with women all the time about uh, childbirth and, and lots of fun, fun the things The baby like interestingly that. woke up and started kicking all the way through that which was <laughs> even weird. <laughs> hey everyone, this is Kevin Allison of the podcast Risk where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I just want to say I love the Getting Better Acquainted podcast, and I love Mr. Dave Pickering. It was a joy to be on the show a little while back, and congratulations. I hope there are many, many more episodes to come. Can someone pass me a fork? I just realized I've got myself a plate of stuff without a fork. So, 
So this sort of section is about how getting better acquainted itself. Thank you very much. Started to follow its own logic and program itself at some point, and about how sort of episodes feed into each other and influence each other. So this is from a conversation I did with an American podcaster called Phil Lerness. Well, that's one of the things I'm trying to do with this project is to sort of find out what makes other people tick and listen to them. I, I actually had a, a truth is out there moment in one of my conversations that I had recently and I, I, I didn't have the... Because it, it came out of the blue and it, it surprised me. I didn't have the, the skill that I find that you and, well, Dean Haglin on screen, but probably you off screen as well, had in allowing people the space so at the end of one of my conversations my friend started talking about the theory that I think you're looking into in your in your second film about the pyramids being built maybe by aliens and the Mayan prophecy for 2012 maybe being true and I did want to allow him the 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 space but I I also found this kind of moment where I I mean, I'm not happy with the way I, I, I dealt with it, but because, and I didn't quash it, I didn't quash it completely, but it just, it came so out of the blue, and I guess my fear was, because he's currently doing my social media for a project, that yeah. I, I didn't want people to think that I had bad judgment, because I would uh, allow someone with these ideas to do a job that he does very well, he does it fine, you know, he, there's no reason to... to for him to be a bad, bad at social media, just because he he gives a little bit of credit to these theories, he doesn't even he doesn't he's right. not a true believer. Right. He's just an int- he's just interested. And and yet this brings up one of the most uh, important points I think about freedom of speech. And when I hear people use the rallying cry of freedom of speech in the states to defend someone who has had ramifications come down upon them based on something they've said. Mm. Freedom of speech does not mean freedom from responsibility. Yeah. You say it, you need to expect that there will be consequences yes. Yes. to what you've said. Yeah. It's just that you are allowed to say it. Yeah. That doesn't mean that everyone has to love you for it. No. Or everyone has to accept <laughs> it. I mean, and part of the responsibility, and this is why, though, letting people speak and freedom of speech is important. What you brought up is, you know, when you, what we do reflects upon. Who, who we are, um, at least in the perception of other people. And what we say affects that perception that other people have. And when we are saying what we are saying as a filmmaker or as a web designer or as an actor or as a politician or, or what have you, it reflects upon the job you're doing mm-hmm. that you've been brought upon to do or the company for whom you work or your partners or your family, Right. And so there is that sense of responsibility. But we can only get to the point where we can become better at navigating other people's perceptions in terms of how we speak if we are in practice of speaking in the first place. Mm. Again, when things get repressed and suppressed, they will come out and almost always at altogether the wrong time. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, but with the ancient aliens, and you know, I find myself cautioning that, you know, getting back to this idea that it's dangerous to let people speak, I do find myself cautioning certain people uh, about certain types of narratives, and, and aliens building the pyramids is one of those. 
the moon landing being fake yeah. is another one of yeah. these. It's not that I tell them they're wrong. It's not that I even necessarily believe that they're wrong or that I have skin in that game. What it what it is is I caution against stories that say mankind isn't remarkable. Okay. If you constantly believe theories that say man couldn't have accomplished some of these extraordinary things, you are basically arguing that man is not extraordinary. Right. And that does two things to me. It denies us something to aspire to, namely achievement. Mm -hmm. But it also lets us off the hook for how powerful we are. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, you know, my position, and this was what people kept uh, trying to pin me down on at that screening the other night. What's, what's your position, right? Yeah. They, they didn't want to, because it was a psychology conference, they didn't want to ask me, what do you believe? Yeah. Right? Because they don't want to acknowledge that belief is important. They, no. they wanted to find out what my position was. That was the word. And my position is one of always advocating personal responsibility. Mm. And, and that's where those stories, I think, are dangerous because... Yeah. They slightly say it's okay for us to let ourselves off the hook for uh, when, in fact, we are incredibly powerful. Well, I wish I'd said something like that in response. I would have been. Good. Should have set that up a little bit better. I should have explained that Phil Ernest made a film about conspiracy theorists as well as being a podcaster, and that's one of the main things. In fact, the only thing that we really talked about when we met up in his hotel room in Waterloo when he was in the country briefly, and I'd sent him an email saying hey, I want to do these conversations with podcasters because I do this podcast because that's a strand in the show. And he said, hey, guess what? I'm in London. Come along to Goldsmiths and see this film and then we can talk about it. And when I went along to that conversation, I hadn't really expected to talk about the conversation I'd had with Anton where he talked about the pyramids potentially being built by aliens. The show itself has this weird logic where episodes seem to bleed into each other now when you presented those people and allowed them to have their space and to speak and to to go through all of the processes of a of a proper long-form interview that i that i do on this show is that, that, that by the end of a, a period of time people are revealing new things about what they think that they didn't necessarily reveal at the beginning so there was that and so one of the things i thought was how human these people were, how similar they were. One of the things I really thought about is something that I've also brought up on, on my show before, which is when I was a kid, we were going to get a pet and I wanted to get a snake. And my mum's response to me saying, can, can I get a snake was, if we have a snake and it dies, I'll have to throw it out of the window and it will upset someone walking by. <laughs> <laughs> which is a kind of, which is a very strange logical leap like that she made in that moment and right. that was what I was seeing sometimes on, on that screen and not, not I don't think all of the people made these kind right. of responsibilities but that was a kind of that's something that we should recognise in ourselves I'm sure I do that in arguments when I get very angry and I really feel passionate about something and then I'm saying something I don't mean at all but in the moment I mean it and then I change my you know and then right. it kind of gets locked in so I thought it's really interesting that maybe we could it, maybe it would be just as interesting you know people who don't agree with these people um, and what they're saying should maybe apply that to all of the people they see on TV and not just the people who are saying the really radical things like maybe some of the politicians that are saying this is what they think should happen they're conspiracy theorists in their own way they're creating false logic the, the banking sector for example has been creating this right. false logic for a long time so I think one I th of my reactions I think when, when, when dealing with skepticism and skeptics 
And I love skeptics. I just don't meet very many. <laughs> I meet a lot of people that call them skeptics. But to me, they fail the number one criterion, the top criterion for being skeptical, which is you have to be skeptical of your own skepticism. Yeah. If you are not skeptical of your own skepticism, then it has become dogma. Mm-hmm. You're a believer yeah. in skepticism. Does anybody have anything that they want to say about that, I guess? <laughs> it doesn't tie in very well with, with, with your theme at this precise moment, but I thought it was interesting listening to you guys talking about taking responsibility for what you're prepared to say and not prepared to say, because it made me think about the conversations Gary and I have had with you about what we're not prepared to talk about. Yeah. And the conversations I think everyone who's had the interviews have had, you know, for all that we are very open sometimes and sometimes we're happy to talk about things that affect us, there are there are things in every interview, I would imagine, yeah. that have been stated we are not going to be talking about. And I'm the same, actually. And, and that's why I ask people what they don't want to talk about before we start, because I want to remind them that they might want to consider that question, because I don't want to have to have lots of torturous email conversations with them afterwards about what's removed that has happened though that's another reason I picked that that extract to a certain extent all of the extracts I picked generally are I think commenting slightly on the experience of doing getting better acquainted this is a clip from his podcast he does with a guy called Dean Hadlin uh, it's going here we go I was featured on uh, an installment of Getting Better Acquainted, Dave Pickering's uh, podcast. Really? Uh, last week, that episode dropped. We recorded it when I was in London. Uh-huh. It was a lot of fun. And uh, it became available uh, just this past Wednesday. And people can check it out. It's a really good show, not just because I'm on it. I mean, every week it's a good show. He, he uh, does a, a fantastic show. Uh, and it's just about him interviewing people who... He meets in the daily course of his uh, life. Now, I guess listeners of our show wouldn't have to necessarily listen to you be reacquainted with somebody. Right. Because we would already know you. Right. Although you might be surprised at some of the questions Dave Pickering comes up with. The whole discussion about snakes and throwing things out of the window. (laughs) Fascinating. You'll certainly learn a lot about Dave. Oh, really? And uh, anyway, his show is at gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. Ah, love it. Promised uh, to give a plug there. I might listen to that. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, so getting better acquainted logic doesn't just work in terms of how it influences the conversations that I'm booked in to have. Often it's why I have those conversations. There's something that that happens in a conversation that leads to the next conversation. Sometimes it'll be I meet somebody while I'm there doing that conversation and then they'll become a part of the show. And this is an extract from the second conversation I did with somebody who couldn't be here tonight called Louise. So apart from saying that it was a bit like therapy... (laughs) You also said, oh, I, I realised I, I missed a, a really, really kind of big, big detail out. Yeah. And when you told me what that detail was, I was like, whoa, that completely changes and flips the conversation. And actually, I mean, Jen, my girlfriend, who you also know, she knew about that detail when she was listening to it. She had the experience of, of knowing what, you, you know, so it was a different experience for mm. her listening to it because she knew yeah. about that. So, Louise, what was the big part of <laughs> your experience that you kind of missed out from the last conversation? Um, 
I laugh because it's it's quite crazy that I should fail to mention this, and it's, it's well, not it's very, the first time. I think it's really interesting that that, yes. we, that people do forget these kind of things. Yeah. I can imagine it happening to most people. Although I wouldn't Lots say I people. forgot it. It was something that I was aware that I hadn't mentioned, and I think I was just about to mention it, and then you asked me a question which kind of took another path, so I, I didn't. And then thought, hmm, I probably should have said that. It's quite interesting that I yeah. But the thing that I didn't mention was... Uh, one of the things that featured highly in the last conversation that we had was my stepdad and how he was a, a very good influence on my yeah. life. He died. He's not with us anymore. Yeah. And actually, I d- when I listened to it, I noticed that at one point I, I used the present tense when referring to Chris. Which is unusual because normally I, I say I talk about him in the past tense, but I'm talking about the past, so it doesn't, it doesn't seem strange and people don't notice. Mm. And when I was at university... At the very end of the first year, I, one of the girls that I was quite good friends with in my kitchen, she asked a question about Chris, and I turned around and said, oh, well, he died. He's, he's dead. And she was just horrified, because for pretty much a whole year, or a whole academic year, I've been talking about him presumably like he was still there. Yeah. But I guess at that point it was quite fresh because he... Fresh is probably a bad word to use there. <laughs> but, um, fresh in your mind. Fresh in my mind, quite recent, because he died when I was on my year out before university. So when I went to university, because, as I said before, he was such a huge influence on me, mm. I felt like he was still in my mind and very relevant to me. Yeah. And the conversations I was having about him were just conversations I was having about him. I thought about him a lot and talked about him a lot. Um, so it wasn't strange to me that I would no, talk but, about him. So I mean, I mean, we would all talk about our parents to the people that we went to university with. Yeah. But, but you didn't mention to them that he had passed no. away. And I had no idea that I hadn't mentioned it or that it wasn't... or that it, it seemed so much like he was still alive like it never even occurred to me that I would need to say it um and then of course at that point I suddenly thought I've never mentioned that he's not around anymore which in itself is quite huge because it was so recent that he died his death was a huge thing and a huge very recent thing so that's kind of odd that I didn't mention that I mean yeah well I mean I guess you didn't you weren't at that moment wanting to talk to everybody about the experience of it yeah and also I think very much so at that point, his influence on my life was very positive. And that actually, I would say, outweighed the sadness of his death at that point. I think probably a little bit naively, and I'll maybe I'll explain why I thought it was naive later, but I, I was just very aware of, like, that's amazing that he was with us for those years, for those few years. Yeah. And my mum always said the same as well, that we had such fantastic years together. And as I said before, it was the kind of informative years for me growing up as a teenager, when, you know, a male role model and and a positive role model is is so important. Yeah. And it it did change me. So, you know, I think that kind of outweighed the fact that he wasn't there anymore. It's both conversations that I had with Louise I really, really liked having. uh, She's a really wonderful person and she's really great to speak to she can't be here today because she's not very well but she did send me an email about the show uh, because one of the things I did when I was preparing for this was to ask for people to send me emails as Liz demonstrated earlier on by reading out her own but Louise isn't here so I'll read out hers hi Dave thanks for resending the email I don't know why I've 
included that. My thoughts below. <laughs> so I asked any thoughts, anecdotes, things that you've learnt or whatever that you have about recording your episode. And she said, I've discovered that people like my voice, exclamation mark. I never thought there was anything to like about my voice before. Brackets. When I was a kid, I used to think I sounded like a boy. Uh, I found it really fascinating listening back to my episodes. It was interesting how much I'd forgotten about the conversation. And I really enjoyed hearing myself talk about my late stepdad, which was a weird feeling in itself. And I realised how much I say, hmm. <laughs> uh, any thoughts, positive or negative, that you have about getting better acquainted? She said, I so love the way you get brilliant conversations out of people. I particularly like how each podcast can be so different from the last. I always enjoy the taster at the start of each episode, the way it creates an impression, accurate or not, of the person and the topic, and, and what's been said can sometimes have a different meaning in the context. So I'm going to carry on reading her email in a minute, but, but, but that inspired me to put this together, which is a little montage of some of the intros from Getting Better Acquainted. If I choose not to abide by society's rules... Yeah. Shouldn't I at least be entitled to survive with a roof over my head, some food, and basically be allowed to exist and, and abstain from that particular existence? I don't see why I shouldn't be able to do that. Oh, St Columba, who lived on the Iona, um, he was said to have, in his life, he apparently uh, converted one of the kings of the Picts to Christianity. So that might have happened, but then you can't date the stones. You don't know if the ones without the crosses were before the ones with the crosses or at the same time, or like you can't date them, so you can't prove anything, basically. I love representing people. I just love that. I, I like helping people with their problems and to get a resolution for them. Being a lawyer is a great way to do that. Um, but you're also kind of fighting for something better. If you're going to this to make money, then you will be incredibly disappointed. If you're going to doing this to meet people and have lovely times and, and have adventures then yeah then you'll be very happy and I'm, I'm very happy with that I've, I've had a lovely time and hope to continue the heart is a lot smaller than people think it is it's about the size of a fist when the fist at your centre has unclenched that affects the rest of your body but you don't necessarily realise that it's your heart and I think whilst he I'm sure was intending to try and make as little impact as possible and to slide very easily into our lives, I guess he didn't really succeed. <laughs> and I just liked him too much, um, which was fantastic. From, you know, scathing teenage-like attitude of anyone being that weak to total self-help junkie. And how did this, how did this happen to me that I became absolutely addicted to self-help? And how did I, how did I <laughs> recover from this disorder? I sometimes can spend a whole Saturday just listening to albums back to back. And I like this idea of like turning the internet off completely, putting my phone on silent and not answering the phone for four or five hours. And I'm just immersed in this world. It's almost like taking a shower in music. You know the magical times when you're a little girl or boy and you're playing something and it just seems to pull together. Food growing was actually what I was most passionate about. And having trained as a filmmaker and worked as an artist, I was more inspired than I'd ever been ever before. Would you only want to be able to obtain anything, goods, services, whatever, from someone who wanted to have a podcast made about them? Because that's, I'm assuming that your uh, contribution to the economy is making podcasts, that's it. That's all you're capable it's of. It's because you're a minority, it's because you're a part of the UK that's probably forgotten in a lot of cases, it's because 
the world has no idea who you are and where you come from. Now, if he's got distracted by a squirrel out the window, or, or you know, or the attractiveness of the first violin player, or whatever it happened to be, yeah. if you come and you come in at the wrong point, you come in bar sixty-three, it ruins all yeah. the previous sixty-three bars, or bar sixty-five. Everybody stops, there's a pause, then you go bam, 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 bam. I can't remember what we said at the particular evening meeting that I was at, but I just remembered an overwhelming sense of this was right, this was true, and I wanted to be part of it. I think I'd hug you now. Yeah. I would gauge the mood and then go for a hug or handshake. <laughs> Depends who else was around. Yeah. When I go to the theatre, I want to be transported somewhere and I want to, I want to live in another world, for, if only for a little while, and I want, to, I want to sit there and gasp, you know. Confronted with your own Appearance. self at different ages. Yeah. You know, so most people go according to photographs, whereas I just suddenly I pop up on the telly and something being repeated and think, oh, Jesus, look at me oh, there. Yeah. It's not like Olivia Newton-John, let's get physical. Sure. It's hardcore exercise. Yeah. The girls actually refer to me as Satan. Satan. Yeah, and it's okay. a nickname I've learned to enjoy. It's just one of those things where you can go and fully get to know people and know about their lives yeah. and, like, the reasons why they're there. As a long-standing atheist, having had last spring having had a, a sudden experience of what I took to be the presence of God and wanting to try and come to terms with that or to think about what it means to come to terms with that. In the early days when I was talking about it I, I would say that God was speaking to me but but everyone then wanted to know what he said. I have a lot of conversations about theatre and some of them are with myself and yeah. some of them come out into the world one way or another and most of them just stay in my head and go around in circles. Because when I was a kid, I didn't really understand and I still don't really understand the concept of having a relationship with God. <laughs> That's too confusing and a concept for me to this very day. But I can totally get this concept of having a day where all of a sudden life suddenly seems just imbued with more meaning and emotion and juice than before and being like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm seeing the light in some way, you know, so I, I do, I, I do feel like I chase that. And I feel like BDSM is a realm through which you can chase that sort of religious kind of experience for sure. Here's what I thought I would do. I'll give you, I'll give you final cut because I think you've revealed more than anybody else is going to reveal. And you know, it's just the nature of the beast of us knowing each other so well. So I'll give you final cut. And I, sin- I sincerely believe that if you think it's a good piece of art, you will you will you will go with it. I know that you'll put the art first. I think that you'll be cutting for understandableness. Understandableness, well, yeah, but which also includes things that that maybe I I haven't communicated in that an understandable of what I meant. What? You know what's interesting about the microphone is that. It kind of feels like a third person. It is a third person. I feel like I'm talking to you, but sometimes I have to explain to the microphone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've done that. Looking at the microphone. I've done that in this conversation a lot. Yeah, I mean, I do do that. I think like that too. I don't think everybody does, but some people do. Some of the interviews, people talk to the microphone. Me and Liz waved at the microphone (laughs) at the end. It's on the end of the episode. It's like a special feature. (laughs) Yeah. So there we go.
So that's a, a, a long montage, including a few people who were going to be here who couldn't be here, and a few people who are here. I think it gives it. I mean, certainly, I, 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 at first when she said that, I thought, I know, I'll put all of the beginning bits together. <laughs> but you know what? That's really long. Um, so I didn't do that. So I just picked out a few that I thought kind of represented different strands of getting better acquainted. Does anybody have anything that they'd like to follow up on in that in that little section? I thought you chose them generally quite well. Oh, thanks. I mean, not, not, not even if it sums up the person, but they all sustained my interest. When I listened to them, I thought, yeah, that sounds quite good. So I think you did a quite a good job of, of choosing the, the sound bites on it. Well, that's the hope. Like, if you, because the thing is with the, the nature of the show, the beginning bit is kind of a little bit getting to know people stuff, and people might go, oh yeah, I don't, I'm not really interested in that job. But then later on yeah. at the end, there's like yeah. a great thing that happens, and it's like, how do I get people to listen through that beginning bit? I'm glad that you said that, George. That's, uh, that's nice. So I, then I asked her, like I asked everyone, to list her favourite episodes and some reasons why. I often think about Elspeth's story of the lady who died when she was working in the shop. It was such a visual image, and the lady who wanted to buy a loaf of bread despite the fact that there was a body on the floor. Crazy. <laughs> now that's, some, that's an episode that a f- quite a few people spoke about in their correspondences. And uh, I know, I mean, friend Haley, who was in that intros extracts thing, she she didn't write back. But at the time, I know Elspeth's conversation made her start going to Quaker meetings more because at the end of Elspeth's conversation, she talks about you have to be religious or not be religious. You can't sort of stay on the on the line. And she also Haley went on to write a song about about that moment that Le- Louise has picked out, the leaving the body moment. And here is a little extract from that leaving the body moment one day i was working on the checkout and um my manager was coming from out back and because of the setup of the store the bread aisle was between us and so i i couldn't see but she came running around the corner and went oh my god and doris had in fact collapsed she'd very carefully, it seemed, put her basket on the freezers and then just fallen on the floor. So I ran to Doris and um, Heather, my manager, ran to the phone and called an ambulance. And I, it's ridiculous, after 10 years of girl guiding where I've been shown the recovery position I don't know how many times, I completely didn't know what to do. I had no no clue. I was shouting her name. I removed half of her dentures because it was sticking out of her mouth and didn't go fishing around for the other half. It's one of those situations where you look back on it and go, you knew what you were supposed to be doing, why didn't you do any of it? Um, But I held her hand. She was breathing, but she let out some um quite hard breaths and then then she seemed to stop um and she died the ambulance was called like i got up um (laughs) there was a ridiculous in the period of time before the ambulance got there i was holding her hand and a customer came round because of course we hadn't locked the doors mm. this has all happened quite quickly and the customer was another older lady who leaned down 
took her pulse and went, she's gone, love. Picked up a loaf of bread and went to the till. And I got up, sold her the bread, <laughs> and then went back to... Do and afterwards, I was thinking, why on earth? Why on earth did she pick up... The and why did I then get up and sell it to her? But Jeez. you are on automatic pilot and selling bread was to be fair something i knew how to do yeah and it's, i guess it's <laughs> shock isn't it a bit possibly yeah I, I knew how to sell the bread whereas helping doris was obviously beyond me um the ambulance guys got there and they um used one of those um portable defibrillator things but it, it was too late um, and I almost wished they hadn't used the defibrillator because she'd always been a very smart-looking woman and it's not a smart process. Um, but um, I stood at the door trying to dissuade customers from coming in um, and most of them didn't listen to me. It's Lancaster, a lot of um, gruff northern pensioners. And I, I told <laughs> one of them, there's been an accident, you can't come in, and he said but I need eggs and pushed right past me Wow! and then he came back and was like I thought you meant someone spilled something I mean it goes on and it's a really excellent part of the conversation one of the really early uh, episodes as well so I mean again it's one that I, I hope people will go back and listen to and it set the tone for the theme of death that's been so <laughs> prevalent in the show ever since Louise went on to say I, I also love the episode about the art of conversation I can't remember who it was with, and she means Carl James, I think. Loads of people said Carl James, but I haven't got a clip from that episode because I just didn't know which bit to take. People can maybe go back and listen to it in its entirety rather than sort of picking out a bit from it. But as, as Louise says, she was enthralled, so people should definitely do that. And she said she particularly enjoyed the episodes recorded in cafes, bars, pubs and gardens, especially when there were birds singing. It was fun feeling part of an alternative atmosphere. Now, that's not something I hear very often about the background sounds in my show. So I was pleased about that. Yeah, I mean, background sound is something that as often comes up. People complain about the background sound. There'll be some e uh, emails about that later on. I mean, where do people sort of stand on that in this room who've listened to the episodes? I mean, d do people generally wish that I could get better at <coughs> having sound quality or not? I think often no. it's really nice, things like Henry the Books. Yeah. There are occasions where it's a bit hard Annoying, to understand yeah. what's going on. I think that, yeah. There was, a, there was a piece earlier as part of the intros you were playing with, uh, I think it was Chris. Chris. Yeah. And of course the wind is so Yeah, loud. that's before I bought my wind sock <laughs> thing. But it's another sound, but, you know, a distinct sound, which is not overpowering. Yeah. That, that sort of gives it atmosphere. But it's just song. a, 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 and I don't think it helps. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's weird. Sometimes it feeds in really well. Your stepfather. Ah, yeah. The, the, the ambulance. Bomb, yeah, and the, the ambulance going hands. on when he's talking about noise and sound. Those are kind of moments that you just won't... I won't get those okay. moments if I improve the sound quality. So it really is a toss-up. Toss toss there was the bit in the uh, epiphany you had in Edinburgh <laughs> where you go indoors and there's a large steel yeah. door yeah. slam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we're going inside your head. Yeah, I know. It echoes, <laughs> it echoes in that room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. And you were finally telling us what the epiphany yeah. was. When I closed the door is when I, yeah, when, I, when I got to it. Exactly right. And that's luck. I mean, that's luck. I could have started that outside. The thing about the, the mobile phones, like, come in, they trill every now and then, particularly yours. But was 
interesting about it is, like, you, you normally people cut those things out of broadcasts and radio and podcasts because they think they they interfere with the with the sound of it, and it makes the whole all radio and all podcasts generally sound quite sedate because nothing ever interrupts us yeah. mentally. Whereas with yours, things happen, and you expect them to be interrupted. Like, oh, sorry, that's my phone, and you just ignore it. Completely, yeah, and it's like there's just the chaos of life is just kind of going. Well, sometimes as well, there the actually time. is people interrupt. There are some episodes where people have interrupted. Me and Richard Tyrone Jones, I think, because he, like, we're interrupted by some kids outside, and we go up and look at the, through the window. Uh, your interview with Carl James, he gets a call from his son. Yes, that's right. Carl gets a phone call from his son, and he said, and "Leave it in." That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Why that's still in there? Yeah. yeah, well, he said, "Leave it in," and it does tell you a lot about him because of the way he interacts with his son is very different from the way he interacts with me. So so that's why I left it in. When with Jessica Green, the, the lorry's going past in yeah. relation to the fact that she's actually in a... Oh, yeah, well, we... I mean, yeah, me and Jessica Green, I recorded it on the fruit and veg store that yeah. she works on on Saturday. I mean, it's true. It, sometimes it's frustrating. At the moment, I'm, en- I'm editing Angela's conversation, the first one that we had, and we had that in a coffee shop in Bethnal Green on a Sunday. It's so noisy. The background's so noisy. I mean, it's good. It's still good, and I'm going to use it. And Are I think, you really? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. No, I don't forget. (laughs) I never forget. Yeah. I know you and Sophia were both hoping that. You're out yes, you're out next week. Next Wednesday. So and Friday. So obviously the hundredth episode of Getting Better Acquainted was too long to be just one episode. It had to be a two parter. And so the next part is coming out on Friday. And in that part, I will continue to let the night be kind of organically programmed by itself. A little bit like what I was just talking about, how getting better acquainted now is its own thing and does its own thing. And I just kind of facilitate that. Well, that's what I wanted the 100th episode to be, which is why I asked for emails. And in part two, we'll be reading out correspondence that... I received unsolicitedly. It'll also have some songs from A Room Full of Friends. I mentioned them at the beginning of this episode. Sorry, they're not in this part. They're coming out on Friday. Some songs from A Room Full of Friends. The Getting Better Acquainted house band. There's a cake with 100 candles. I thought I would play us out with an email I received from Angela after we recorded the 100th episode. We, we mentioned her episode a little bit in what you've just heard. But at that point, it hadn't aired and she hadn't heard it. So this is what she sent me when she did hear it. I'm not going to try and do an American accent. Hiya. I finally got up the nerve to listen to my GBA. I'd forgotten a lot of what we talked about, so I was worried that I'd said something stupid or embarrassing. But it was so interesting to listen back. I know we didn't get into some of the deep subjects that you have with other interviews, but I've had a few dark days recently and it was actually really nice to hear myself so happy. I don't really like the word or idea of being blessed, but that's about the closest thing I can come up with right now to describe how I feel. Sometimes it's important to be reminded of all the good things in my life. So thank you for putting together and posting the episode. I think you did a really good thing. See you soon. Angela. And the theme of feeling blessed by having conversation is something that's going to be strongly featured 
in part two of this 100th episode. It's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you, audience, and with all of my guests on this whole 100 episodes. Thanks for listening. Bye.